I've got three devices trying to load it and none of them are having it, but we'll see. It might do it on this new one. Um, are you all ready or do we want to wait for another person? No, I believe we can go ahead and get started. Okay. And we're recording. Okay, good. Um, welcome to the May 12, 2022 Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Organization Policy Board meeting. Um, first, um, our Jessica will give us, oh, well, actually, let's do roll first. Jessica, can you do the roll for us? Paul, go ahead. Uh, Carter. Kelly. Larson. Messina. Here. Roberts. Here. Shanklin. Here. And Shipley. Here. I have a few housekeeping items now. Good afternoon. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function of this public meeting is disabled and all chats will directly come to staff. Um, unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn off your video. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting and when participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. Um, we reserve the right to mute or or turn individual video on and off to minimize distractions. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Chair Courtney Shipley. All right. Um, uh, this is uh, Courtney Shipley. Um, the next item is public comment. Do we have any public comment? Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. There is no one in person and no one online has indicated they would like to make comment today. All right, thank you. Um, that brings us to approving the minutes for April 21st, 2022. Are there any questions or comments about the minutes or any motions? Motion to approve. I'll second that. Okay, we have a first and a second, so we'll let Paul call roll. Messina. Aye. Roberts. Aye. Shanklin. Yes. Shipley. Aye. The motion passes 4-0. All right, then that brings us to our agenda, regular agenda item, which is the Lawrence pedestrian plan. Let me share my screen. Is that working? You can see my screen. There we go. All right. Um, we are presenting today the work we have done over the past year of the development of the Lawrence Pedestrian Plan um, to update um, the Lawrence portion of the regional pedestrian plan that was um, previously done um, prior to that. We started this process um, working with the MPO Policy Board as you established the Lawrence Pedestrian Plan Steering Committee and staff advisors. And so we began meeting with the staff advisors um, to draft a scope of work. And we'll talk about that in a second. And we worked with the steering committee members then to um, revise and ver verify that scope of work as we began this process to draft a pedestrian plan. This advances much of the work from the previous um, pedestrian plan and pedestrian bicycle issues task force that had happened um, in Lawrence. And so you can see a screenshot of them meeting virtually here and that membership, which we really tried to represent diverse stakeholders in the process. 
As I talk about a scope of work, we recognize the need to really talk about the long-term vision for walkability. Um, we had some call um, to identify sidewalk network gaps that improved access to bus stops, healthy food destinations, and parks. And the goal there was to add those to the gaps that had already been identified on collector arterial and safe routes to school routes. And so that's to really complete that vision of a priority network. And we'll talk about that a little more in a second. We wanted to take the opportunity to analyze the distribution of existing sidewalks across the block groups in our community in relationship to the transportation disadvantaged populations um, index that we have previously created that shows where we have a predominance of populations that are above average of populations um, that have uh, transportation disadvantages. And so the idea here was to understand if there's disparity in relationship to where there's sidewalk access in our community. We wanted to explore some pedestrian-oriented design and the opportunity to recognize that the land development code update is underway um, and uh, recognize the need for kind of the work we needed to do around pedestrian crossings. We looked at recognizing also that there is ongoing work in a lot of different areas that was that was happening that may not be uh, directly inside the scope of this plan. It wouldn't be done as part of this plan, but it needed to coordinate and be consistent with that with those projects and programs. And that's things like sidewalk improvement, ADA transition implementation. Um, for public buildings, brick and sidewalk streets committee work um, that the city of Lawrence uh, has underway, but we found hasn't uh, been hasn't met regularly, but it's still in the workload um, and plans for the 2023 ADA transition plan for the public right away. Um, we also hope to explore some national best practices, and you'll see some of those that came across through our recommendations um, in the plan for walkability. It's not just about the built environment. There's a lot of other components, and we explore some of those in this planning process. This is kind of the timeline that we began. We really took the opportunity to explore where we've been since the 2016 documents um, to identify some of the gaps and needs um, in the existing planning and built environment uh, and uh, infrastructure space um, around uh, pedestrian access and walkability. We went out um, We went out for, com for community engagement with a, to identify issues and barriers that they experience around walking and to help set um, priorities for some of the work you'll see in the recommendations. We began, you can kind of see those green blocks really represent each of the components um, that we frame around the scope of work that we created. Um, and then we had an opportunity to post uh, the plan for a public comment and uh, collect comments from the community. Um, and then we are in the plan approval phase and we had the opportunity to work with our steering committee and the uh, technical advisory committee and the multimodal transportation commission already to review um, and confirm kind of staff response to those comments as both MMTC and the technical advisory committee have recommended approval of the, the pedestrian plan. Most familiar, we're not going to talk about all these statistics, I think, but as people think about where we've been from walkability, the recognition comes to some of the built environment projects that we've done, that we've been tackling, that begins with a lot of the larger transportation alternative projects, our safe routes to school, uh, gap infill, um, sidewalks as part of larger road projects. And so that's the part I think that some people, if you live by those or those are in your vicinity, that's the things maybe you're most aware of. But the reality of this is, is that since the last plan, there's been significant other work um, in programs and projects that has happened. And I'll just highlight a few of those for you. That includes things like um, the Multimodal Com Transportation Commission has been established. There's been, uh, the City of Lawrence has received a silver level friendly, walk-friendly community. Um, there's been dedicated bicycle and pedestrian funding and the establishment of the non-motorized prioritization process, enforcement of the sidewalk improvement program, establishment and implementation of the neighborhood traffic management program um, in which um, traffic speeds and traffic enforcement have made comfortable, more comfortable uh, streets and environments, development and implementation of Lawrence safe routes to school. Um, and that's not just the built environment stuff, that's um, our education maps, that's our programming 
Um, that's other uh, policy work. The improvements to the right-of-way management program, including pedestrian detours and how those are being established and the change in those standards, and signal coordination and pedestrian crossing times. So we highlight a bunch of other work that has been ongoing during that time frame um, that make that imp all impact and improve walkability. When we went out to the community, we talk about really wanting to work to understand what are the barriers they're still facing. We know the needs um, in most part exceed um, the resources to target and achieve some of these things. And so if we talk about, um, the, let's review just really quickly, high level, the first five barriers people addressed with us, busy streets with no sidewalk, sidewalks in disrepair or tripping hazard, drivers not watching for yielding people crossing the streets or driveways, gaps or no sidewalks and drivers going too fast. And so here you can see we're talking about sidewalk gaps. There are the absence of sidewalk as part of the network, um, sidewalk condition maintenance um, and driver behavior. And so hopefully um, the recommendations that we include as future action in the plan that's ongoing, either ongoing work or new work, hopes to tackle and address some of those barriers over time as we work to implement this uh, pedestrian plan. Um, the public was asked about the vision, the vision statement. Um, this is slightly modified from the previous plan based on feedback we heard in regards to understanding that we needed to be more explicit about all ages and abilities, including those who travel with an assistive device and the recognition that equity should be a component of the work that we're doing, recognizing that certain populations um, have less transportation choice and we need to be aware where the impact of our investments are being made across the community. And so uh, this, this vision for the future was um, revised from the previous plan to reflect the conversation um, that we heard from the community. Um, we don't have to, we're not gonna read this list, but we are gonna go through all these items. I wanna show you at a high level how the implementation recommendations were um, designed kind of in the plan. Um, we focus on building and maintaining the pedestrian network. So that's thinking about the segments of the network, um, crossings um, as its kind of own category. We have a little more work to do there. We had intended to do some of it as part of this plan and it uh, didn't end up fitting within the workload and scope um, that we had for the plan. So there's some additional work there that needs to be done that's on um, in as part of some current conversations at the Lawrence City Commission. Transportation and land use and design. So thinking about what are our standards say and how does that integrate into the bigger picture of how we're designing our community, use, thinking about the pedestrian experience. Safety, comfort in the streetscape. So this is about um, traffic, safety, driver behavior, um, and understanding how people are sharing these spaces and what they feel like, and then evaluation. And we'll talk a little bit more about those in detail. So as we talk about the recommendations for understanding where our recommendations about building and maintaining the network, a big part of that is about constructing the prioritized sidewalk gaps. And in our experience with this, we already had detailed through safe routes to school planning and the previous pedestrian plan, the recognition that sidewalks um, belong on both sides of collector and arterial streets and um, one side of uh, local streets that are designated as safe routes to school that are continuous. So those projects had already been identified. Um, additional projects then were identified based on some pedestrian demand mapping that we had established for access to parks, uh, bus stops, and healthy food destinations that were added to the list and the recommendation um, to include those in the non-motorized prioritization um, policy that is currently um, in process with the non-motorized with with the multimodal transportation commission. So that kind of shows you here about what level of projects and investment um, and kind of thinking about a high level priority network for pedestrian access across our community. Um, we took this is at a high level to look system wide at the sidewalk to road ratio. So this is a proxy um, ratio for us to look at where there is lower than, than street average um, sidewalk existence. And we compared this to our minority block groups from census populations and to the transportation disadvantaged populations. And that's on the map on the right with our score. So you can see that there is um, 
There are some areas that have both high transportation disadvantaged population scores and low percentage of road, uh, sidewalk to roadway ratios. And so we looked at these system-wide um, and what we provided some analysis in the plan about the targeting of the priority projects and how we believe that will address some of the disparity that we found across some of these transportation disadvantaged populations. Here's an example. This block group is the highest um, transportation disadvantaged uh, block group within our community where we believe there's the highest above average percentages of populations that experience uh, transportation challenges. And we show here where there is and isn't sidewalk, but also where we have gap projects. And you'll find in the appendices of the plan, every block group for the entire city um, slated where there is sidewalk and isn't and what projects or gap projects are planned. Um, this, is, this is just kind of an example to show you what, we're sh what we show here to show what's the roadway percentage um, before and after we would propose those projects in terms of making some movement on improving access. It doesn't mean sidewalk on every side of one street. That's not what um, this is about, but it's about connecting a high level pedestrian network that people can use to access um, destinations. Um, so thinking about transit, food, parks, schools, um, and things that are out, uh, land use uh, planned along our arterial and collector street network. So. This is in the plan and there's some there's some efforts already being made by the Multimodal Transportation Commission to use the transportation disadvantaged population waiting um, in their decision making uh, for prioritizing projects. And so um, they just modified that program with based on some of the work that we've done in this plan. We recognize that there's still a need to continue to implement the sidewalk improvement program and possibly evolve it as needed um, based on local conversations, whether that's timeline. I think the thing to note across all of um, the comments we received is that the work that's currently underway and the work based on the need there is for improvements um, is not meeting much of the community's expectation in terms of um, intensity of delivery. So um, there really is a need to maximize funding to make additional progress on implementing these things, whether that be maintenance or gap infill or even longer term vision. But we recognize there also may be a need to evolve as needed. And we looked at, we explored very briefly um, the opportunities, some best practice we maybe saw in some other communities that are doing point of sale sidewalk inspections. So before tr property transfer can happen, um, when property is being sold, sidewalks are inspected and must be brought into compliance. And that's something we uh, consider and encourage the city to explore in greater detail um, based on um, that uh, program that was pointed out to us as we were doing our research. We also recognize the need to develop and implement an ADA transition plan for the public right away. And we pulled some of the conversation that had happened as part of the 2020 City Accessibility Survey um, into the conversation, recognizing that um, this survey, which targeted specifically individuals um, who experience challenges and barriers navigating the system to kind of understand what some of those barriers are. And so we envision some of this process to feed into um, the additional work that needs to be done to understand the condition of the sidewalk um, network for not only just hazards as the sidewalk improvement program is doing, but thinking about cross slope driveways um, and additional um, curb ramp transition. Um, as we got into the Conver, oh, this is, excuse me, I'm ahead of myself. Um, as we talked a little bit about earlier about the other work that's being done, um, crossing times were um, something that we had had a lot of conversation with with the community about in terms of at signalized crossings. Um, we went, we took members of our steering committee and members of the community who use assistive devices out to experience some of the intersections that had been uh, re-timed to verify they were evaluating current crossing standards. Um, and we experienced at all of the intersections we visited that the crossing times felt reasonably comfortable. It was more the concern of driver behavior, particularly 
particularly yielding um, to pedestrians in the crosswalk and right-hand turns um, that we even experienced when we were out on the street testing these signal timings that really impacted the walkability and comfort feel of, of um, some of that street. And that played into our recommendations that come later in terms of uh, behavior enforcement. But we also recognize that um, while many of the corridors, um, the ones noted in color, um, have been addressed as or, or are being addressed to verify the signal timing meets um, the standard, there's additional intersections that should be continued to uh, be verified as the city rolls through that system. Crossing improvements. So the, we set out to talk to the community about crossing improvements, recognizing that the Multimodal Transportation Commission had had previous conversations about the desire to adopt some uh, local, adopt, identify appropriate crossing improvements um, and adopt um, some standards that would help us to be able to score and evaluate intersections. On the far right, you can see kind of a map at a high level of the 147 intersections of concern that the community uh, submitted to us to, to include to say, you know, these are intersections that are not signalized that we would like to have explored. And I think the the next step here is really building a program that one can bring some engineering expertise um, to de to developing and adopting some a local countermeasures uh, that were that are appropriate and um, whether through some standards um, and then also uh, creating establishing a methodology to explore these intersections, but really all intersections across the city in a more sy systematic way, um, and then be able to feed those into the non-motorized prioritization project programs for future crossing improvements. Um, and then additionally, recognizing that there could be opportunities when you're doing uh, reconstruction or major street maintenance to do bump outs to shorten crossing distances or other crossing improvements that could be rolled out um, more systematically if those types of improvements were considered as part of those projects. Again, that's a scope and funding issue. And so I think additional funding would have to be identified and scope work um, that's, I believe, being proposed um, to the commission to consider around prioritizing crossings. Some of those may be on shared use paths and include bikeways as well. We asked the community a little bit about recognizing when we think about the long-term vision for sidewalks, we realize that there is not, there is an immense amount of need for sidewalk in places where the community standard was not to install sidewalk on both sides of the street um, when the neighborhood and area was constructed. And so de facto, many of these streets across our community are serving like this center picture. This is actually a Google Street View picture of Ash Street in North Lawrence, where they're really serving as a shared street environment, a yield roadway. Um, and we asked people how comfortable they felt you with these pictures on that type of infrastructure. And you can see very uncomfortable or somewhat uncomfortable was the predominance uh, response um, that we got there. And, um, and I think the reality of that really plays into driver behavior. Um, the reality is I think for the very long term, these streets types are going to exist in our community and that even more brings into importance the need for user behavior, addressing behavior issues of roadway users. And so thinking about how enforcement impacts the culture we create in our community and how um, people feel comfortable on the streets operating in, or in shared spaces, whether they're biking or, or driving. We also recognize that even though there's ongoing um, Brick Committee and not sure of their timeline for the work that they're doing both for brick street standards and brick sidewalk standards, but the need, we call the need to establish some brick sidewalk standards. All right, we explored through some research the consideration of the pedestrian experience in the land development code. And we really framed that under four, uh, the four bullets kind of there that you, that you see in terms of thinking about how that should be reframed in the land development code and considered as part of the conversation and provide some direction in terms of walkability of how walkability could be 
benefited by thinking about pedestrian scale, pedestrian oriented, connective road patterns, um, density of uh, uh, residential and commercial construction and development within the current footprint of, of the city. And so um, we could expand a little more on those, but we also recognize the need to incorporate the long-term sidewalk vision into the land development cone. And we did some work here recognizing, trying to understand what the public expectation is. Um, we did some high-level planning estimates to show if, if um, on that chart, you'll see if we were looking at sidewalks on all sides of all streets, um, at the current funding level, we're funding gaps. We're looking at about 250 years to be able to construct um, all the sidewalks. Um, and so that doesn't include um, some of the costs of right away and other things. And so I, that this is a really just high level planning number, which isn't within our lifetime. And I think that really um, begs the question to think about um, and where we really got to in terms of uh, establishing some priorities, recognizing all of the other need, not just for new gap, new infill of street or sidewalk network, but also thinking about maintenance, maintaining what we have and maintaining it as a, and it transitioning to accessible routes that in the balancing of some of those priorities that the long-term vision for sidewalk should be to have at least sidewalk on both sides of new and existing arterial and collectors and both sides of new local streets and uh, as a retrofit one side of all existing local streets. And so you can see that still only brings us down to 150 years um, and that may still have to be additional conversation um, as part of the land development code to recognize what the retrofit looks like as we're piecemeal developing in some um, locations what the reality is about when sidewalks should be constructed. And we have some additional work that we feel like should be clarified as part of that land development code. We recognize um, as part of safety and comfort the need um, to reestablish the traffic enforcement unit with Lawrence Police Department and to uh, continue to implement neighborhood traffic management and elevate enforcement of not only speeding, but also failure to yield. We provide some study examples of communities that have used um, targeted enforcement of failure to yield to pedestrians um, effectively. And we highlight that kind of in the plan as a consideration. Um, that could be some additional enforcement that targets behavior that um, the community has really reported of concern. We recognized um, and we heard from community members about concerns of conflicting users of the sidewalk. So not only just bicycles, but electric and motorized vehicles and recognize that additional work needs to be done to review and update maybe regulations in regards to um, who uses those spaces and education to users about uh, how they use those in a way that um, provides a safe and comfortable environment for all people. Um, we recognize through the work um, on our staff team, the need we call for the need to re-establish the uh, fatality crash investigations, um, partnership between Lawrence Police Department and Municipal Services and Operations to identify um, crash data to identify uh, future geometric improvements uh, for roadways. Um, and we explored um, some best practices nationally about implementing some pedestrian legal frameworks to decriminalize walking, addressing anti-harassment and jaywalking. Um, and the equitable impact they've had um, in our communities and across the country. And so that's recognized in the plan. As we talk about some of the built environment things, we recognize that not only just street trees and lighting, um, but also winter weather policies, block driveways, brush clearance, um, wayfinding and transit amenities all impact um, the usability of the uh, sidewalk pedestrian network. And so we have recommendations kind of about uh, elevating those different components as part of the system that supports walkability. When we looked at performance across the system, we identified five um, evaluation factors. So one of which is the percent of, of, of public streets with sidewalks on at least one side. That PM2, this comes from Transportation 2040. Um, and so you can see we've begun tracking that in 2017 and you can see that change in time since 2020. The, the From the City of Lawrence Strategic Plan, Connected City, uh, outcome uh, number five, percentage of sidewalks and shared use paths in compliance with ADA and deflection minimum standards. That's currently at 20%. We would say that's a metric that should be tracked over time as part of the plan implementation evaluation.
Additionally, we recognize that because we're really focusing, honing in on the pedestrian priority network, we wanted to track the miles of gaps. Um, and we have it in the plan divided out by which part of the network it's on. Um, some double are double counted because it may be a safe route and also an RTLR collector or it may have park access and also something else. But um, overall, that's about 50 miles. Um, and then two other measures that we felt were valuable from the um, transportation 2040, um, PM13 and PM26, which is number of non-motorized fatalities and serious injuries on all public roadways. Um, and that includes bike and ped. Um, and so you can see that metric here as we continue to track that in the development and implementation of our long range plan and percentage of pedestrian mode choice, which is currently at 5.9%. We posted this uh, plan for a 30-day public comment period from February 28th to March 30th. And through that work, a second. Didn't like how I shared it. Um, we identified a list of comments that we received from the community, and those were included attached on the agenda and included in the plan. Um, when we have per uh, our work um, on these type of plans and reduce this draft document, we recognize we're asking a lot of the community because by the time we've published a draft, it's um, it's quite an extensive document, um, and we received um, a variety of comments that we kind of tried to section into to um, uh, topic areas here. And in some of those comments, we received them. In some of the comments, we forwarded them to an appropriate party. Um, in a few cases, when we noted in here, um, we added some notation in the plan based on the comments that we received. And that's available uh, for your review. Um, if you want to talk about any of those in more detail, we can. And then we also received an additional letter of support from the Healthy Built Environment Work Group um, expressing support of um, the plan and the goals to advance walkability um, in the plan. The Multimodal Transportation Commission um, and the MPO Technical Advisory Committee recommended approval of this plan at their May meetings. Um, and I'd be happy to entertain any question or conversation you want about any components of the plan or the work that we did with the steering committee over the last year. Um, girl, you know I'm about to come at you about sidewalks, but I want to make sure everybody asks their questions. Yeah, Matt Messina, KDOT. I did have a couple of questions of some of the items that you may have addressed or alluded to. Um, is there an element of this plan that can also satisfy a portion of a vulnerable road user assessment? Um, to kind of map out where um, crash history is more prevalent? Yeah, Jessica Marger, Transportation Planning Manager. There is um, some of that, although um, I think we'd have to look at that into some in some greater detail with maybe some additional history because just playing on some of the locational analysis with um, the vulnerable road users it would be a little bit like playing whack-a-mole in terms of trying to address um, specific locations. I think as you look at a lot of some of the behavior data that we really feel that while we need to partner some of the built environment improvements um, around uh, walking, you know, to make the crossings and make walking feel more comfortable, we also realize that without enforcement, um, that there and, and change in culture, that many people are already choosing not to um, be a pedestrian or they're impacting where they choose to walk um, based on. Um, how they feel on the streets and how people are operating. And so I think there could be additional work done. I think it probably needs to go beyond just the crash data, understanding for geometric improvements, just if you're talking about just bike and ped, um, and really into targeting some of the behavior as we think about user behavior. And so I would say there, there's probably a lot of more information to understand, um, even in addition to some of the additional work that's happened as part of neighborhood traffic management, that this could 
provide the basis for that, but I think a lot of additional work probably needs to be done um, to really dive into that to understand where you're going to make the most impact for impacting user behavior and comfort for walkability. Okay. Actually, um, aids to the next question that I have was your head, uh, trip number, I think it was 5.6, 5.9%. Is that specific to work-related commutes? Or did you acquire additional trips uh, information for PED to make up that PED mode uh, share? Um, I believe that's the census journey to work information. So I believe you're looking at, this is not based on any local numbers. That's solely based on the census derived information, which I believe is from their, their journey to work uh, travel information. Because that's... Uh, very high for commutes to work for the state. So that's that's good. And then the last one I have is related to any extension or advancements to um, a count program to continue tracking maybe non-work related trips that are also occurring and keeping data continually coming in. Yeah, Jessica Martin, your transportation planning manager. I think we highlight some of the existing counts that we have as part of the existing conditions. We don't have a specific recommendation around counts, um, but our partnership um, with the city has kind of evolved over the last few years as part of the neighborhood traffic management program has for the city of Lawrence has um, purchased bicycle and pedestrian counters. And so those are owned locally. And we um, prior at the beginning of COVID, we had uh, we were um, evaluating our opportunity to test those and validate those because there's a couple different types of counters. One requires video observation and additional funding um, to either either manually staff review the videos um, and document those or send them off to be counted and that has a cost with it as part of that program um, and also just some tube counters which can count um, bike um, solo um, counts so we have talked in partnership in real in that larger picture not within the metrics of the plan about um, where how that's going to continue. And I think that's still a question that's going to be out there to see where we figure out. Um, I know there's conversations locally about big data and that the role of cell phone user data and big data subscriptions um, to uh, use some of that data as a more value add. Um, but I'm not sure where we're going to end up in terms of um, the amount of time and effort that it takes for bike manual bike ped counts uh, based, based on the validity of those. I think we need to do some additional work before I could say there's one answer that I feel like is appropriate for this region. All right, thank you. Any other questions? Um, okay. Matt, well, with, uh, Lecompton City Council. Sorry. Uh, I had a question. You you talked about or mentioned uh, decriminalizing jaywalking. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. So across the nation, there has um, is empirical evidence that um, that the the criminalization of jaywalking and the use of that um, to ticket. Um, people who are walking as vulnerable users um, really came from the the space of liability with auto users and how that some that evolved over the course of time in terms of um, seeing placing liability on who's at fault recognizing some of that um, when you look nationally at some of the data around uh, the populations that are ticketed for jaywalking we find that there's a predominance of tickets that are issued um, that impact minority and low-income populations and recognizing the the criminality of that and the impact um, severity of kind of the disproportionate impacts that there's recognition that it doesn't benefit anyone um, to make people feel safer. It doesn't actually impact safety to have it be illegal to jaywalk. Um, and so there's some research happening nationally about that that we believe should be explored as a local opportunity to explore if there's um, desperate impacts within the local information. I don't know that it's something that um, that is used 
regularly or often. And if it doesn't impact safety, then there's consideration to explore whether or not we feel it's appropriate to continue to have it be an illegal with a fine to jaywalk. Gotcha. And that's that goes along with the in parentheses of anti-harassment. I'm assuming that's the vulnerable population you're talking about. Yeah, and the anti-harassment one is a little bit different, but recognizing that much of the um, that that a predominance of uh, women and vulnerable um, persons have experienced uh, sexual harassment or harassment on the streets being pedestrians, and that criminalizes that behavior to create a safer culture um, for vulnerable people. Uh, persons who choose to use walking as their mode of transportation, um, street violence and street harassment are uh, reported, you know, kind of abuse in in that way of those people and creating a culture around safety that really focuses on those vulnerable users recognizes that that some of that behavior should be made illegal. Gotcha. And I got one more quick question. You mentioned bringing back the traffic unit with the Lawrence Police Department. Has there been conversation about that? I believe so. Um, there has been, and I am, I, the, I've been periphery to it in just a few ways in the sense that as part of a public conversation that the traffic unit um, hasn't existed for a number of years um, and the result of impact that's had on ticketing, but also uh, speed across the community. And so I think I know, I, I'm pretty sure um, and Courtney, I guess you can correct me if I'm wrong. One of the most more recent reports that had been done um, that I saw in our partnership with uh, police department on the multimodal uh, team for the city uh, recommended um, the reestablishment of traffic enforcement also. And so it's kind of consistent with city conversation that has been going on. I believe um, it really is a budget and financial issue. And so that will be something that as we think about the role of traffic enforcement and culture, um, we recognize that safer streets means a culture where people don't expect to be able to speed or not yield to people. And that that plays a role in how people feel um, on our streets. Thank you. <laughs> Commissioner Shanklin. Um, all right, and I apologize at the outset. I'm having terrible broadband. Commissioner Shanklin, does it help if you call in? Uh, it, it might do the uh, so it may not affect it. But can you hear me now? For the moment. <laughs> okay. Um, just really quickly then, uh, this uh, comments are for, for Jessica, and I'm interested in her. I, the, Having spent 35 years as a resident of New York City, I'm very familiar with being a pedestrian and the benefits of shorter pedestrian trips. Um, what we've seen here in our materials in the presentation today um, is a really good analysis, I think, of existing conditions. So I'm thinking more about uh, the medium and long term uh, problem that we're describing here, but addressing mostly in terms of, of short-term uh, application. And the the medium and long-term problem, I think, can be best addressed density. And I, I find the, the, the density imperative missing from this discussion. I mean, there was one reference in the material in the presentation today to allowing uh, greater density. Uh, in residential areas, and uh, from a fiscal perspective, and from uh, the perspective of pedestrian satisfaction, uh, density is critical. Um, and we're talking about a lot of concrete here. Uh, it's um, for for the medium and long term. This prod this problem of, of improving the pedestrian experience and 
ethical standpoint for Liberty and County um, is best addressed by uh, increasing density in the urban core and limiting it at the periphery. Otherwise, the problem just gets bigger over time. So, um, Jessica, I'm, I'm curious why we don't see more about the density imperative in this discussion. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. I guess from our perspective, as we think about the pedestrian experience and we think about the call that we kind of put out around the land development code, we felt that that was made clear. I'm sorry to say that I guess nobody alerted us or we didn't feel like additional um, emphasis on that was needed based on the recommendations. I'd be happy to entertain your thought about how we should do that or how you would have liked to seen that done in a different way. Um, this plan really is highlighting at a high level kind of a lot of different work elements that need to be done. And you're right, the longest term one really is the land development code and what's happening in relationship to um, how that work gets carried out. And we made a uh, recommendations in relationship to uh, a bunch of elements that we believe need to be considered in that. So, um, Okay, sorry to put you on the spot, but I, I, okay. I was hoping you'd say that we, we, we've got some work going on to better understand the, the benefits of density. Um, I mean, there's a lot of computation to do, um, but to just say that allowing greater density, it should be a compunction. Um, we, we really need to cause greater density to occur uh, as, as a key component of, of improving uh, our pedestrian uh, plan and, and access. So, um, I, I just, you know, one person's comments here, but it's a really important issue and I'd, I'd like to see it raised more often. Any other questions? Okay. So I think I want to start on page 10, Jessica. Wait, let me scroll for a second here. Um, yeah, so the enforcement of the improvement program, and it's I think it's mentioned in a couple of other spaces I'll get to here, but the... The Kansas statute does not mandate that homeowners pay for their sidewalks. It allows cities to force that, but it does not mandate that they have to pay out of pocket for their sidewalks. And it happens quite frequently. What's interesting, as you know, with um, community development block grant money is often used for our gap sidewalk programs and um, the homeowner is never the wiser. Um, what those costs are, just a sidewalk appears. Um, so that's an, at least one example of where we do not force every homeowner to purchase a sidewalk out of their own pocket. Um, so I just want to be sure we're very um, careful in our wording with um, these statements that we don't make it seem like, and we frequently do, um, that we have no other choice than the one that we, um, we have no other options of funding than the way we have them now. Um, so just kind of this first sentence here, I just want to be um, clear that that certainly gives the impression that what we do is the only way it can be done. And I, I always have a real hard time with that. Um, the next thing I think would be page 20. And there's, oh, actually before that, let's, uh, page 13, the sidewalk distribution equity evaluation. That's a really great, um, um, section um, and it has a lot of important information and is a great acknowledgement of the different ways that people have been treated um, in different neighborhoods um, in terms of connectivity but in terms of equity and while I'm well aware that the, the funding specifically was not in your purview of discussion, but another inequity is what I just pointed out, which is that some people get free sidewalks and some people don't. And that it's pretty whimsically up to us who those people are. Um, so um, 
while it may not be um, a racial inequity, it will almost definitely be a socioeconomic inequity um, and kind of an unjustifiable one. Um, so I don't think it is um, too much to point out that our current funding structures are not equitable. Um, do not treat homeowners or landowners or taxpayers in an equitable way. Um, and that was actually, a memory serves, one of the things that was asked um, of some studies um, and steering committees in the past and has pretty much never happened. Um, the next thing um, was maybe page 27, or actually we could go to, um, so the questioning of people, oh, page 20, asking people about where they want sidewalks on both sides of the street. That's great information, but also they didn't have all the information they needed. When you ask someone, do you want sidewalks on both sides of the street on every street, which seems to be kind of a prevailing feeling, what you don't tell them is who pays for it. And I find constantly, um, even right now, as people are getting their letters of who will be uh, paying for their sidewalk, um, is an absolute misunderstanding of who ends up paying for the maintenance of the sidewalks. Um, and I really believe people will answer that question differently when they realize that it will come out of their own personal pocket. Um, so even now, when we all know that our valuations have gone up, people will be getting a letter telling them that suddenly they owe thousands of dollars out of pocket on a sidewalk and their neighbor doesn't have one. Um, so again, with the inequity, but in particular in terms of asking the public what they think, I don't think they have the full information and that the full information would elicit a different answer. If you know that one, one side of the street on local streets is sufficient, um, then your answer um, might be different when you find out you're the one going to pay for it out of your pocket. Um, and that information isn't you know, in the way the question is asked. So I'm always gonna quibble about stuff like that. Um, and I think we can get to 27. Um, yeah. Oops. Um, oh, the continue to implement the sidewalk improvement program. And I appreciate the evolve as needed, but it still has some pretty um, definite language that, um, for example, the legal requirement of the Kansas statute um, is still somewhat misleading in my view um, to people to understand who's on the hook for the sidewalk that they expect. Um, and um, I do appreciate the sort of understanding of the discussion that's been going on uh, in the city for several years. That's really well balanced and I appreciate that. Um, but I, I would still say, um, I also appreciate that it is kind of calling us out that we need to fund these things um, in, in, in a diplomatic way. I appreciate that. Um, the other thing I kind of wanted to ask about was the brick and your recommendation that we um, finished up those recommendations. Um, I The last time I checked, nobody knew where we were at on that. So as a book report, could you maybe email me and let me know? I think the person who was maybe in charge of it switched positions and maybe it's just a ball that got dropped because I think some of the people on that steering committee have not heard from anyone in over a year. So yeah. Um, yeah. If you want me to answer that, to my understanding of that is that the staff member who was assigned that responsibility is no longer with the organization. And as a result of that, it's being evaluated and reassigned and reshuffled and prioritized in workload. And so I would also note that through the development of that, just the, the understanding that as that BRIC committee formed, it may also, as it stands, not meet the intent of community engagement and may need to be more robustly represented, not just by people who love brick sidewalks, but also by 
by more balanced issues to recognize people who um, have challenges using brick sidewalks. Um, and so to represent an end result of a committee that's probably more balanced, I would hope that there's some efforts to reestablish um, a group that's more representative of all the perspectives before that work rebegin. But you're right, um, we got called, that's one of the questions we got called out on um, in terms of just asking, saying that what we provided wasn't enough information and we have no other information besides that that was given to us, so. Um, well, it's not your responsibility to figure out who that person is, but if you accidentally figure out who I maybe need to email so for follow-up, I will be happy to do that, but I, I understand that's not your responsibility. I did kind of have a lighting question, a non-sidewalk question, um, because there's been some things come up recently in our neighborhood asking for one light. And so I appreciate the um, suggestions here, but also in terms of, okay, if we approve this, then what, what would I tell the public to do next on some of these things as action items? Um, the city already knew we needed to reevaluate our lighting policy, which is sort of restrictive for some areas and too much for for others. I mean, you know, every neighborhood's a little different. Um, and kind of in in as much as any of the commissioners sort of tried to ask about it or get it assigned to someone, our answer honestly was it's not really have, it doesn't really have anything to do with the um, strategic plan right now. So we don't have any reason to put it on the top of the pile. And so I, I like the way you've outlined it here. Um, and so I wondered if you would just give me advice, you don't have to do it now, on how to help navigate people to try to move that issue into an action item. My, my short answer is when this, after the city commission evaluates this plan and considers it, when they come to a conclusion about adopting it, it will be the locally and regionally, when we get to that place, adopted pedestrian plan. And there is a component under connected city in the strategies that says implement the pedestrian plan. And this is a component of the pedestrian plan. So I, that's your linkage. Thank you for that. Um, if there's no more questions, this is a public comment item. Is there any public comment? I see no one in person or no one raising their hand online to comment on this item. Okay, um, then let's make sure there's any discussion uh, between commissioners on this item. Come on, Patrick, you want to talk about sidewalks so bad, I can see it on your face. <laughs> can I add one more thing? So in this process, I think we had a lot of conversation with the steering committee and in the Multimodal Transportation Commission, recognizing um, the fact that for some people, this plan doesn't go far enough. For others, this plan goes too far and that it's trying to find a balance really of different strategies, programs, policies, actions um, that can be taken to improve walkability. And we saw as a reflection um, of the work as we reviewed the where we have been since the PED bike issue task force report, um, which I think was from 2016 and the previous pedestrian plan that a lot of progress has been made in this space and that it's going to be a constantly evolving um, process and to recognize it as that and realize this is a list of st stuff that we're going to have to prioritize into workloads with all of the other priorities. And as we get to that, um, it's not, none of these are overnight fixes. These are all going to have to be balanced with other priorities. And so it really hopes to take a wide range view to recognize all the components that it takes. Did we get everything? No, I don't think so. I think you know many of you pointed things out, some of the community pointed things out that they would have liked to see in more detail or more work done or less work or, or other things. And I think we have to recognize that we now have in this process, this is the second pedestrian plan that the MPO has incorporated into our workload. We are with this plan talking about amending what, what it takes to amend the plan and or work on the plan, recognizing it's now on a five-year rotating cycle to update every five years. Um, in, a, in a process that happens before we update our long-range transportation plan. And in those processes, in the recognition that this is constantly evolving, I think brings 
a little bit of clarity to the fact that um, we will need to continue to do this work and take a lot of effort um, in a bunch of different areas. In the meantime, um, to put together a total picture of transportation um, as we you know continue our work on transportation 2050, which is even longer term, but recognizing we plan to be back at this again in five years and re revise this process. In the meantime, recognizing a lot of other stuff is going to have happened um, in that time and we'll um, have the opportunity to see how well we've done and if we've gone gone far enough or too far um, in that space. Any other discussion? Um, is that Commissioner Shanklin? Make sure he can he's can hear us if that's him. I, I could hear you. I had to switch over to audio, um, okay. so I'm still with you. Okay. Do you have any comments or anything? Okay. I guess then, if there's no more discussion, I will entertain a motion. I'll make the motion to approve the uh, pedestrian plan. Matt Messina, Keda. Mr. Commissioner Kelly, I'll second. Uh, I have a first and a second. Paul, can you do your roll for us? Kelly? Kelly? Yes. You said yes four gotcha. times. I, I wasn't coming through on my end. Okay. Uh, Messina? Yes. Roberts? Yes. Chanklin? Yes. Shipley? Um, I don't want to vote against this but you know what my issues are. Um, so I think the, although strange uh, to do it, I think the only thing I can do to express how important it is to me to abstain. Okay, the, the motion passes uh, four, with four yes and one abstain. This is Commissioner Kelly. I have to go to another meeting, but I wanted to be here for that vote and make sure we had a full quorum. Maybe you can't hear me. Can you hear him? I did okay. now, yes. Great. Good. Thank you. Okay, that brings us to quick updates. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. Transportation 2050 public engagement is underway, and you can find out more information about that now or at the, the website. We have, um, at the link provided, we um, have been begun doing tabling, talking to uh, users about their transportation experiences to help inform the work as we lay out um, the Transportation 2050. We have a federal fiscal year 21 to 24 TIP amendment underway for June consideration. We have a whole bunch of projects, so be on the lookout for that, um, particularly in relationship to the award of $2.7 million from Transit um, for their federal, for their AIC, the Access Innovation and Collaboration Awards they won from KDOT. Um, we are working on a Title VI and LEP, Limited English Proficiency Plan updates, um, following our public participation plan update. And we have posted their recent TAC minutes and the monthly KDOT update link from KDOT, if Matt has anything to add to that. Yeah, again, the Link hasn't been updated in a while due to being understaffed and on parental leave. However, I do want to announce that we do have um, hired recently a brand new position to manage our new electric vehicle program funds, which has been very um, hot and popular. Uh, everyone's excited about it. 
um, I'd be more than happy to share that contact information if anyone in your community is are interested in learning more about the program and the direction of the agency with those funds um, as we're um, required to administer them on behalf of the state. Um, just like I had kind of a, not really, well, maybe it is a question. So, you know, I follow social media and I see, like, I see some things that get more play. And I feel like sometimes, like, I haven't seen anything about the transportation 2050 on city social media. I don't know if that's a breakdown between you and communications or what, but I would like to see more of the things I learn about just because I come to this meeting, um, get more play in social media or multiple, you know, um, postings and stuff like that, because that's really important. So it's my understanding, I think there has already been at least one post, but we will follow up. We have a whole plethora of notations throughout public comment that we provide photos and messages to post, and we try to coordinate that. So we will follow up. Um, but I also know sometimes the city um, pays. Uh, they have a budget for engagement and we don't currently have a budget for engagement. So that's something maybe that we need to consider in relationship to that. Um, when we looked at the data related to previous programs that have paid for different engagement, um, the clicks they got didn't necessarily seem worth the return on investment versus just tabling in places. So um, we can reevaluate that. But I think that's maybe part of the challenge is some of those, if they're not getting boosted um, with paid advertisement, um, then you're not seeing them as much. And that's just program budget um, that plays into that in terms of from the city's profile. And Jessica, I can also address that a little bit. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. The, um, yeah, we haven't really been pushing the social media on 2050 yet. The, the goal was kind of to get it get it set up and I assure you that there are going to be some social media posts coming um, in the next few weeks before the um, the survey closes so we will be pushing that for sure anything else Jessica on that report okay is there any other business? Um, okay, so our next meeting will be June 16th. And we don't need to reschedule it like we did this month. It doesn't look like, unless Jessica informs us otherwise. All right, and I think that brings us to the end of this meeting. It was lovely to see all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, thank you.